So as we come out of this election season, I hope all of you made it out alive. And I hope ultimately that last week's sermon encouraged you to not put your trust in princes and instead put your trust in the Lord. That you were able to worship Jesus Christ, the true king this week without any distraction. All right. But today we have a new topic. We are back in James and we are talking about, appropriately enough maybe, conflict. So given the state of our Facebook accounts and oh, talking about the election with our friends and neighbors, conflict is probably an appropriate topic. But I know that this is a touchy subject in some senses. Because to focus on conflict is to, first of all, admit that we have it. And you guys all have conflict in your lives. I know that I do. And we have to admit that. We have conflict with our coworkers, with our friends, with our parents, maybe uh, with siblings. We have conflict. Probably most of all, we have conflict with our spouses. And that's going to look different ways. Maybe that's going to look like just kind of snide comments thrown at each other. Maybe that's going to look like the, the big blowouts that we think of a fight, or maybe it looks like just kind of the stewing silence of anger. We all have conflict. And I recognize that talking about conflict can kind of stir the pot a little bit. They can get you thinking emotionally. But I want to say that we need to talk about conflict, and we need to also remember that God uses conflict for our good in our lives. I'm confident that God uses conflict and that he uses it not just to tear apart, but he uses it that we might understand our true hearts and then we honor him and actually grow together in relationship through conflict. So I'm not going to say that you should avoid conflict at all costs. I feel like that's kind of the Christian message sometimes. You should never be in conflict with anyone. No. Those kind of people typically are shying away from fights that they should have. That the few of you who never are in conflict probably aren't really addressing sin head on. So I want to say that there, you should have conflict in your life. The reality of sin makes it inevitable. But when you have conflict, I want you to know what the real battle is about. And who your real enemy is. And then go out and fight for the glory of God. That's our goal today. Now, to do that, James is going to ask a very specific question. He's going to say, what causes all of this conflict in the first place? He gets behind it, and he identifies three things that are behind our interpersonal conflicts with one another. Those three things are going to be our points. First of all, conflict is caused by a conflict within our own hearts. It's caused by a conflict we have with God himself. And it is also caused by a failure to go to battle with our real enemy, with sin, with the world, and with Satan. There is a real battle out there. There is a real spiritual battle. We are to fight the sin in our hearts. We are to fight Satan as he would tempt us and lie to us. We are to fight the world and its false wisdom, as we've been talking about. And the comfort of that fight is that Jesus Christ is fighting alongside us. In his death and resurrection, he has already won this battle, and we do so in and through Christ. 
That is how we're going to redeem conflict, is fighting as Christ fought as he did on the cross. All right, so let's look at James 4, verses 1 through 10. James 4, verses 1 through 10. Read with me. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your heart, you cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. All right. So in talking about conflict, where does James start? James doesn't start with identifying who's right and who's wrong in the conflict. Instead, he's going behind all of that and asking the question, what causes conflict in the first place? Verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, how you answer that question is going to shape how you deal with conflict as a whole. So we're going to start with the wrong answer, the typical answer. The wrong answer is that fights and quarrels are caused because of other people out there. We point the finger and say, no, you started this. It's your fault I'm angry. It's your fault I'm upset. It's you. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right, that is the wrong answer. But that is how we tend to go to battle. That's how we fight. Sit down for marriage counseling, and you have a couple trying to convince the counselor that their spouse is the worst person they've ever met. Right? They're pointing the finger at each other. Now they just have someone to be their witness. But that, that's what most conflict comes down to, is we're pointing at each other and identifying each other's sins, which is all too easy. And that is where we think the real cause of quarreling is in other people. We externalize the problem. We say, I'm angry because you were dumb. You said something mean. You did this, you didn't do that. You said this, you didn't say this, which is what I wanted you to. All right, that is the wrong answer. And that answer is going to keep you really immature. It's going to keep you from growing. It's going to make you into a victim in every single conflict. It's going to make you kind of throw a pity party whenever you have a fight, thinking that it's all about them and they need to change. 
So if that is the wrong answer, what is the right answer? James would say that first and foremost, in a conflict, the person who caused it is you. You caused it. And you caused it because your heart, your heart didn't get what it wants. First one. Second half. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions, your lusts, your sinful desires, they're at war within you. That they're not getting what they want, so they go to war. They get angry, they start the fight. Said another way, verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Basically, your heart, your heart is selfish and it wants things from people. It wants to get what it wants. And so when it is thwarted, when other people don't serve you the way that you expect to be served, you start fighting. Right? We're just more sophisticated toddlers throwing tantrums when we don't get what we want. Now, what are we literally looking for? All right, so we also have more sophisticated desires than we had as, as toddlers. We don't just want candy or cookies anymore. Maybe, maybe some of you do, but for the most part, no, we have sophisticated desires and we can justify them because they're good things. Kids want cookies and candy because they're good. They taste good. That's why they want them and we want good things as well. Now men, what do we oftentimes want? Oftentimes we want respect. To be acknowledged that we are smart, that we are capable, that we are strong. Maybe we just want some peace and comfort to get some rest at the end of the day. Now, none of those are inherently bad things. All right, women, maybe you want to be loved and cared for, to be adored. Or maybe, maybe you don't want that mushy-gushy stuff. No, you just want, can I just get some help around the house? <laughs> You can do the dishes. Will you clean for me? We just want a little help. Okay, these are good things. These are good things, and we would expect to want these things. But the problem is that we want them too much. So something that we want becomes something that we need, becomes something that we demand from other people. That's where we have this innocent want that is neutral over here, but it becomes, as, as James says, becomes a lust, becomes a passion, becomes the object of coveting. Now that is the problem. That is what is causing conflict. It's when we see people and we say, no, you need to give me not, not just what I want, but what I need. Because I need this from you and you're not giving it to me. So what is the first step in conflict? The first step in conflict is to honestly reflect on what do I want from this situation? What am I wanting? What am I expecting? What am I demanding in this case? And that's where conflict can actually be really helpful because it will reveal your heart to you. You'll find that maybe you don't actually fight about the things you would expect to. Have you ever gotten to those fights that are like super petty and you can say in the back of your mind, this is stupid. This doesn't make any sense why I care about this that much. 
But here I am fighting for it. Look behind those things and you will see a desire of your heart. Something that you want. Something that you want too much and that you are fighting for. Now in those moments, in those conflicts, you should be in conflict with someone. But it shouldn't be the other person. You should be in conflict with your heart. That is the main enemy, is your heart and its desires. We talked about last week how sometimes we have to tell our heart to worship. We have to speak to our soul and tell it to worship. In this case, we need to speak to our heart and tell it no. No, you can't have that. No cookies. You don't get to use other people to get what you want. That's not okay. Speak to your heart and tell it that it doesn't get what it wants. We need to kill the selfishness within it. All right, that, that's going to bring a natural question. If I'm killing all of my desires, then how do I get what I want? How do you get what you want? Well, James offers this very, very simple solution. Verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. James basically says, well, you should just be asking for the things that you want, not fighting for them. Now, that's probably a kind of a vertical dimension where we're talking about our relationship with God. Ask God for what you want. But every, every vertical dimension between people and God has a horizontal one as well. Where truths that apply to us and God apply to people and other people as well. All right. So what does this mean? This means you need to ask for what you want from other people. Ask. That may seem kind of dumb, but sometimes it can be that simple. Maybe you want when you're when you come home, for your spouse to run up and give you a hug and tell you how much they love you and miss you and just shower you with affection, maybe you want to come home and they completely ignore you for 20 minutes. So you can just kind of veg out and like recollect. Those are going to be two very different things. Have you ever asked for one or the other? All right, I'm going to talk about my own life. Casey. <laughs> one of my favorite things about Casey is that she will just ask for what she wants. She'll actually say things like, can you just tell me that you like me right now? And I'm like, okay, sure. She'll ask for a hug. She'll like ask, like, can I just have your attention? And I'm like, okay, yes, you can. All right, me, on the other hand, I keep it very mysterious. And ultimately, I'm shooting myself in the foot that I'm making Casey guess and code break and figure out what I want when I should just ask. It is as simple as that. I'm sure she would give it to me. That's where I think we, we live with this lie that says, if they magically don't know what I want and don't give it to me, then it doesn't count. That it's like, isn't as good. They should just know. No, that's just unhelpful. It's just you being annoying and expecting things. No, if the person loves you, then ask for things and give them a chance. Let's throw people a bone and ask our friends, ask our coworkers, ask our spouses for the things that we want. 
Now, I recognize that that can be scary. Because what if they don't give it to you? What if they don't want to give you that? Well, I think it starts by giving them a chance. It starts the conversation. At least it is humbling yourself enough to say that, that this, is, this is what I want and this would be an opportunity for you to serve me. Okay. But this is ultimately even more supposed to be the case in our relationship with God. We are supposed to ask God for the things that we want. Now, if God is the ultimate provider, if he is our father, he should be giving us things that we need. He promises to give us the things that we need. And so we should go to him with that expectation. Maybe God actually loves you. Maybe he does. Maybe he wants to give you good things, but you just don't ask. That's where a lot of fights are caused because we expect other people to fulfill the role of God. We think that, oh no, they, they need to give me the love and comfort and honor and respect that I need. No, they can't oftentimes. Oftentimes that is God's role and we need to ask him to provide when, when we need things and want things. All right. But, but, a lot of you might be thinking, well, I've asked for things and I haven't gotten them. I've asked for things and I haven't gotten them. And James, James knows that you will ask for things and God will say no. Now, what is happening there? Verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Sometimes God doesn't give us what we want because we're just being selfish. And that's where sometimes we can't really ask for what we want because to put words to what we want would just be too embarrassing because it would just reveal how selfish we really are. To say, I just want you to tell me I'm right even though I know I'm wrong. You know, or I just want you to give me whatever I want no matter how unreasonable it is. Or I want to be the benefit of this relationship. I want to benefit from it and, and I mostly want to take. That's when the desires of our heart come out. And we have to be honest with that. We shouldn't expect to get those things. We don't get to use one another. And that's where it takes us to our second point. This conflict in our hearts reveal a, a larger conflict that we have. A conflict with God himself. Verse 4. You adulterous people... Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So on the one hand, we could say, no, okay, I'm, I recognize I'm just kind of selfish. No, James pushes the envelope here. He says, no, you're actually adulterous. You are an adulterous people. That in loving these things and putting your desires at the forefront... You're actually cheating on God. You are betraying him. That God himself should be the object of our desire and our affection. He should be the one that we go to to provide for us. He should be the one who takes care of our every need. But we've doubted him. 
We said, well, I, don't, I don't know if God, I don't think you can satisfy me. So I'm going to go f- see if I can do better over here. That is what we're saying in the midst of our conflict. We're not ultimately at conflict with this person in front of us. We're in conflict with God. We're saying, even though you say that I need this, I think I need this and I'm going to fight for it. You're not providing for what I need. We are an adulterous people. Which is ironic because look at what God says to us. Verse 5. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made within us? He is jealous for us. We tend to think that's a negative thing. But this is some good jealousy. This is God wanting you. He wants to be with you. He wants exclusively to love you and him to love or and you to love him. This is his passion for us. If our desire is for other things, his desire is for us. And that's where this sin is it's not just bad, it's actually really tragic. That idolatry and adultery is tragic because we're betraying this God who promises to be ceaselessly faithful to us. And we're choosing the world over this God that says, I choose you among all people to love. We're basically saying that we hate this God who loves us so passionately. That is the sin of idolatry. That is the sin of worshiping another God and we've all committed it. And the sad thing is that this is, a, this is a punishable offense in the kingdom of God. This doesn't just mean, well, no, then you're going to be sad. No, you're going to be actually under the punishment and wrath of God. We are in conflict with God. We are at war with him. But verse 6, he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So thankfully, God is a forgiving spouse. That we are an adulterous people, but he is forgiving. And he's only forgiving in Jesus Christ. That God saw this broken relationship and God said, well, then I'm going to be the one who mends it. That's where Jesus is, the mediator. He is the reconciler. Jesus is our, our marriage counselor, in a sense. That we screwed up this relationship, and God is the one to fix it. He puts himself right in the middle, and he says, okay, I'm going to take your punishment. I'm going to take all this injustice. I'm going to wash away your adultery, your idolatry, your selfishness, and I'm going to take it upon myself. I'm going to humble myself and serve you I'm going to love you first, even while you hate me. That is how God mends the conflict with us. He dies. He sacrifices. He gives grace. That is how he mends the relationship with us. And what does he expect in return? What is the condition for this? Humility. The simple humility that you receive it and say, you know what? Yes, I'm adulterous. I'm a sinner. 
I don't deserve anything from God or from man. And I'm not going to do anything to fix this relationship. All right. All right, that takes us to our final point. In interpersonal conflict, we fail to fight the real spiritual battle going on. These interpersonal conflicts, they're distractions. Distractions from the real war. The real battle, which is between Satan and God. Look at verse 7. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There is a war going on. A war between Satan and between God. And the battleground... The battleground is not the earth. The battleground is not kind of the land out there. The battleground is your heart. They are battling for the allegiance of your heart. And we have the opportunity to give our hearts to God or to Satan. We can flee from God or from Satan. We can pursue God or we can pursue Satan. Who are you going to ultimately show that you love? Who you submit to? And the, the deepest question is, who are you going to imitate in your conflict? Are you going to imitate Jesus or Satan? Think how Jesus fights. He fights by loving first, by forgiving, by offering grace, by sacrificing himself, by putting the desires of others above the desire of his heart. Or do we fight like Satan, the accuser? Do we throw out and try to reinforce the fact that, that you are a sinner, that you, you are a sinner, that there is no forgiveness, that there is no grace, that there is no mercy? That is Satan's lie, that there is no mercy for those who have sinned. There is no forgiveness. Is that also the message of our hearts in the midst of conflict? This is the battle. This is the battle of the allegiance of your heart. Who will you be like in conflict? This is where in a sinful world, we must be in conflict. We must be. That there is sin and evil out there and we are called to stand against it. You're even called to stand against it in your spouse, in your friends, you are to stand against those things as Christ would. Stand against them as Christ would. And Christ does that through a death that results in life. By losing the battle so that other people would win it. With grace and mercy and compassion. That is how Jesus wins the battle. That is how we will win the battle as well. That is how we're called to fight. Now, as I think about this, it can be kind of oppressive when it's like, okay, you're, you're constantly have to be in spiritual battle. The comfort is the cross. That Jesus already won the victory in the cross. The cross is basically Jesus lopping off the head of Satan. He's now running around like a chicken with his head cut off, but he's largely dead. That is the state of the world right now. That the death blow has already been dealt, and our role now is to be kind of the cleanup crew. 
We fight little skirmishes along the side, but mostly the battle is already won. Verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We don't battle these things with exorcisms. We don't battle Satan with uh, Latin prayers. We don't battle him with crucifixes. We battle him with a purified heart. With a heart that refuses to submit to Satan. With hearts that refuse to use his weapons. We refuse to use weapons like guilt and shame and criticism and bitterness, unforgiveness. Those are the things of Satan. It makes me think of, of, of magic. So whenever we see magic in movies, there's always good and evil magic. Good and evil magic. And both are powerful. Usually the evil one is more powerful. But what happens? It always corrupts the soul. It gets into their heart and it messes them up. That's what it is like with, with using the tools of Satan when you fight. That yeah, you will have power. You will have power to hurt people. To criticize and tear people down. But you will lose your battle with Satan in the end. Your soul will have been corrupted and you will ultimately lose. So James gives us this odd alternative, verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is how, how you're supposed to win your fight, is by humbling yourself. That you start with weeping. What if you, what if you literally started your fights with weeping over your immense sin? And confessing to the other person, no, this is what I did wrong. Humbling yourself before them. You know, this is what I wanted. And I recognize that that was really selfish of me. And that, that was my motivation in this fight. Now that is what we're called to do. We're called to humble ourselves like that. And to recognize that what do we really deserve? What do you really deserve? You deserve judgment. And you deserve misery for the misery you've caused other people. You deserve the wrath of God. But what do you get? You got grace. That should humble us. So when we go to other people, we can admit that, no, we are sinners and we screwed up. We're sorry. We ask for forgiveness. That's what it looks like to fight like Jesus Christ. To admit you're wrong before you ever point out all the ways that they screwed up. That you would put someone else's desires above your own. You'd sacrifice yourself. That people would insult you and you do not insult back. Now this is where everyday little tiny moments, these goofy little moments, are battles in a cosmic war. They are that significant. That you just humble yourself a little. That you admit what, you're, what you did wrong first. That is battling like Jesus and you will have victory over Satan. 
I think one, one thing that I think is just helpful is admit your doubts and your fears to your, your opponents. Tell people. This probably works with people you're closer to, not with like random people. Um, like when you said that, it, it like made me feel kind of worthless. Or when you did this, it, it made me feel unloved. It made me feel disrespected. Can you imagine starting a fight like that? Basically bearing your soul to someone and saying, like, this is how I actually felt. And allowing them to, to do with it whatever they want with it. I think we think that, no, we'd be destroyed. But maybe they would have the comfort of saying, well, no, no, that's not what I intended. I would never want that for you. Now that sounds kind of crazy and it sounds kind of stupid, but that is how Christ fights. He sacrifices. He bears himself. He humbles himself. And that is how he won his victory over Satan. That is the gospel. And crazy as it may sound, we will win the battle with Satan by losing these little fights with other people by humbling ourselves, by not taking up our sword, but taking up our cross. You may ask, does it work? Does this technique work? If I humble myself before people, are they, am I just going to get destroyed? All right. Does it work? It, that has some different questions to it. Are you always going to get what you want? No, you will not. Jesus didn't always get what he wanted. He didn't want to go to the cross. He went anyway. You won't get what you want necessarily. But what you will get, you will be victorious over Satan. And you'll be presenting yourself to God and expecting and knowing and relying upon the promise that he will exalt you. That is what he promises here. The cross gives us hope that Victory can come out of losing these fights. Admitting our weakness, admitting our humility. So what would I call you to do? I would call you to stop fighting with people. And stop fighting with God and start fighting with Satan. And the sin in your heart. Start fighting with the lies of the world. And do so by embodying the cross. In every conflict, you should be saying, how can I be like Christ in this? And you'll find that actually, conflict doesn't result in just one person winning, one person losing. It results in people burying their hearts to one another. And learning how to love each other better. Actually growing in the glory of God together. That is how God hopes to redeem our conflict. Let us submit to him and humble ourselves and see what happens.